morning to those who are listening online, or if it's good afternoon or good evening or good night, whatever it may be. We are glad that you're uh, tuning in online as well. Uh, and for some, weren't able to make the trek through the snow this morning. For others, you're probably serving in our kids' ministry, or you're sitting on the beach in Dominican, and we wish we were you. But wherever you find yourself, we're glad, we're glad uh, that you're tuning in. So um, we are in a series. We started it uh, at the beginning of the year, and just our, our thought was to go from Christmas uh, to Easter, just following the life of Jesus. What would it be like to have actually followed Jesus? And uh, it's based on a, loosely based on a series by Andy Stanley uh, that they did a year ago called 90, and it was just that similar, similar thought. What would it look like to actually follow Jesus? And it's a good challenge for each and every one of us. Uh, so many of us are quick to say, well, yeah, we're a Christian, but are we actually following Jesus? Because that name Christian is so watered down in our culture that it's hard to know what a Christian really is. And a Christ follower requires us to follow. And that's, it's been, even for myself, just reading it, man, there's challenges that, that hit us that, that uh, I hope that we're ch- challenged with, wrestle with, and, uh, and ultimately deal with. Um, in our first week, we looked at a guy named Luke. Luke was, uh, he was lived in the first century. Uh, he was a smart man. He was a physician, uh, a doctor by trade, a historian, uh, probably by um, uh, just as his, what, what do you call that, his extracurricular activity? His hobby, that's the word. Thank you. I may need more help this morning. I only had one coffee. Uh, his hobby, you know, and yet uh, he, he wrote at the beginning of his letter saying, the reason I'm writing this is so that you can be convinced of truth. I've, I've researched everything. I've talked to eyewitnesses. I'm not writing a story. I'm writing something that happened. And, and he says, I wanted to make sure that Theophilus or whoever would read it later would have a, just a, an accurate account of what uh, happened in the life of Jesus. He also says at the very beginning, I was one of many. We know he wasn't the only one who attempted to write that. We actually have a couple of other accounts from Mark, uh, who was a friend of Peter's uh, and uh, also hung out with Paul. We have John, who was an eyewitness follower of Jesus. And we have Matthew, who was also an eyewitness follower of Jesus. And they, they all uh, wrote different parts. And then there's other, there's other uh, par- uh, th- uh, documents that we don't even have in our uh, book we call the Bible uh, that talk about Jesus as well. Uh, and they also talk about this other guy that we talked about in week one, John the Baptizer. John the Baptist was a man who uh, did something brand new. Uh, this had never really happened before. People had done religious um, immersion ceremonies where they would, they would wash in the Jordan River or in a body of water and, uh, as, a, as a consecration of their life to God. But nobody had ever actually done that to another person. Uh, that was the first time where people would go and somebody else would dunk them under the water. And so that was new. And so, of course, crowds would crowd around. And they thought, wow, as soon as there was crowds, they thought, wow, John must be somebody. Maybe he's the coming Messiah. And we learned in week one that he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just here to point you to him. And so he would, he would tell all those crowds, hey, there's somebody coming. And then when Jesus did show up, you know, he didn't, he didn't say to the crowds, hey, I want you to believe a story or, hey, here's some old scrolls I want you to read and try and believe that they're true. He just said one word. Do you remember what it was? It starts with an L. Look, look. He had a guy and he said, look. No, no, look. It's the obligation that wherever I point you, you go, look. That's what, when John was saying that, he was like, hey, look, there's an actual person. And we're so used to the idea of God being invisible that we think that that's always been the case, but it hasn't. When John pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God, he's pointing to a real person. So last week we looked at um, how Jesus was tempted to, give, to, to just give up this idea of starting a brand new kingdom 
and just to live like all the other, uh, like all of us are tempted to, to pursue fame, to pursue power, to pursue wealth uh, for our own benefit. Uh, and he, he had the, the temptations to do that, but he valued something more than that, something more than fame, more than wealth, more than power, more than authority. And we learned last week that that was you. He valued you more than that. He would rather choose suffering over all of that so that someday, one day, you and me could have a relationship with our Heavenly Father and, and be a part of a kingdom that was new. And so uh, if you didn't have a chance to, to listen to those messages, you can hear them online. But uh, today, before we jump in, I just have a question for you. It sounds kind of odd on a day like today, but how, how do you get into a, uh, a cold body of water? How do you jump into a cold pool? It's maybe different. I, I wonder, just uh, by show of hands, are you one of the ones who like dips your toe in and then it's like, oh, that's a little cold, but you want to go in, so you put your, you know, up to your knees, you sit on the edge of the pool, then you climb down the ladder till your waist, and then you get back out for a while, and then finally you ease yourself into the shallow end and slowly walk into the deep end. How many of you are those kind of people? Yeah, me too. How many of you are this guy? Cannonball! Don't even check, just go. Uh, so I was going to show a video. There's a guy who did this on a frozen pond and doesn't realize that it's actually not thin enough for him to go through the ice and uh, just crazy. Uh, but they don't even check ahead of time. It's just, boom, cannonball. And maybe you're like, well, what does that have to do with following Jesus? Thought this morning is this, that for many, for many of us, and, and I would assume that uh, many of you in the room this morning are, are Jesus followers and you've, ha- you've heard the good news of Jesus before, but how you've heard it often determines how you share it with others or if you share it with others. And Jesus' command to us was that we would, share our, we would share the good news with us, but so few Christians do it. Why? Uh, I think part of it is because of the way it was presented to you uh, or presented to us and, and how we present it to others. Maybe for you, your experience, your first experience with Christ sounded something like this. Somebody came up to you, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher or it was at camp, and they're like, hey, you know what? Jesus died for your sins, and if you want to go to heaven, you just need to say this prayer. You know, repeat after me. And you're like, uh, okay. Uh, and so you repeat after me, and at the end, they're like, there you go, now you're a Christian. And you're like, what does that mean? Oh, don't ask any questions, just believe. You know, like, okay, but what did I sign? No questions. You just got to have faith. You just got to trust. You just got to believe. And you're like, okay. And, and from then on, you've just kind of been like, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian. Maybe for you, it was a little bit harsher. You saw somebody either on a street corner or an angry preacher like, you better stop sinning. You better stop sinning, boy. You better get your life right with God. You know, God's angry at you. You are on your way to hell. Unless you get your life cleaned up and you start going to church. You start getting, you know, in God's good books. Maybe do a few better things and, and you can kind of, you know, get in God's good books. I and mean, you're like, mm, you're not sure. Like, have I done enough good things? Have they, like, outweighed the bad? And you still have questions. But it's this, it's this thing of you're either all in or you're not in at all. Uh, or maybe for you, and I think for, for many, this is the case, you were born into a church-going family. It's kind of just been, that's, that's just life as you know it. You, uh, you, you know, you were, you were there before you realized it. You know, they did the sprinkling ceremony or whatever it may have been. You grew up, you learned all the songs, you knew the routine. Maybe it's, you're, maybe it's here. You're like, yeah, I know they're going to do announcements. And if I come late, I can miss giving in the offering. And then, then they're going to sing. And after they sing, Mark's going to talk. Then you're going to pray, they dismiss. We get brownies, we go home. And you've learned the routine. But, you know, maybe you relate to this guy when you think of Christianity. It's like, well, it's kind of boring, actually. And those of you who are this person, you don't relate, or you don't even know, because you are sleeping right now already. 
It's warm in the back. All right, but, you know, and others question your faith. Like, at work, you know, they find out that you're a Christian, and, and somehow, you didn't tell them, but somehow they found out, and they ask you questions like, so, so you're a Christian, eh? Well, what, what, what? Why do you do that? Like, you believe in God? Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, yeah, I believe there's a God. How do, how do you believe? How do you trust that? Science would say this, this, and this. You're like, well, I just believe. Don't you? Well, no, I just don't believe. And like, well, you know, in your head, like, no, they're going to hell. And you're like, I'm just going to go back to work. It's like when they ask you questions about your faith, you're like, the questions start going on in your head. They're like, huh. I'm not going to tell them that's a really good question, but that's a really good question. Like, how, how does this all work? But like, I can't ask anybody. I can't like ask somebody about that because that's doubt. And Jesus said, don't doubt. And, and I've been told, you know, don't doubt. That's, that's, that's a bad thing. And you don't question your faith at all. You just sort of do the routine. But it's actually boring. And it, it feels to others like, wow, that's just blind faith. You know, they just go somewhere and they just believe what somebody says. Like, they're just like sheep, sheeple, whatever. Why, how can you live like that? And, and that's our question this morning. Is it blind faith? Is it simply this thing that you can't question? Is it just blind trust? Oh, okay, I sort of believe that there was a Jesus who died on a cross for my sin. I'm not sure I believe it, but just in case, I'm going to show up every Sunday because if in the end it was true, at least I'm good. And, and, and that's a hard faith to share with other people because there's not a convincing of it. And for some, you'd be like, isn't, but isn't that how it was for the first disciples? They just left everything and just followed Jesus. It was like, we're all in. We're cannonball. We're just going for it. Because I'm more of the type of person who's just like, I, I want to I wanna know. Like, it's more of the dip my toe in the water. Wasn't it like that for them? Was it just cannonball? Well, Matthew, who was an eyewitness follower of Jesus, he was not an eyewitness of this particular event, but he wrote about it. And here's what he wrote. Matthew chapter um, 4, he says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew. And, and just before you just like blur into like, oh, okay, they're reading the scripture. Can you just, just, just picture it for a minute? Picture like here, Sea of Galilee. You know, and Jesus is walking along and there's, oh, that's not going to work, Simon and Peter. Well, where's, uh, doesn't anybody sit there? Simon and Peter, right there. One with the beard, the older one, and his buddy, his, his buddy Andrew. And, and there they are, right on the shore. Two real guys tossing a net into the water, it says, because they were fishermen. And Jesus is walking along, and he, says, he sees them. And it says in uh, the, next, the next verse, he says, he calls out to them and says, hey, fellas, come follow me. And they're like, okay. He says, I'm going to show you how to fish for people. They're like, wow, that's new. All right. Uh, and it says in verse 29, so they left their nets at once and followed him. Just chucked the nets on the beach and was like, let's go with this guy. Then verse 21, a little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers. These guys right here. He's like, hey, James, John, didn't know their names, but that was their names. He's like, hey, come follow me. And they're like, they're with their dad in, in the boat. It's a family business. And they're like, he says, come, come along too. And so verse 22, what does it say? They immediately, they immediately followed Jesus. They left the boat and their father behind. And maybe you were raised with the thought, like I have, you know, when I was a kid, where the preachers would say, you know, he's got to be Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You know, it's like, you got to make this decision and you're all in and you're like, I just feel like I don't have enough information. I just, I don't feel like I know enough. And you think, and they're like, well, that's, you just have to have faith. You just have to just get all the way in and go. And like, I don't know that my friends, I, 
you look at those people and you're like, I don't think that's very responsible. I don't think that's really um, very realistic. How many of you would do that? Have you ever pictured this? Uh, just picture this for a minute. You're sitting in high school. Where's the high school students? There's a few. You're sitting in high school, and this guy walks into the door, knocks on the door, opens it up. He's like, you know, he's got a robe and a beard, and your teacher looks like, who are you? He's like, hey, you guys, come follow me. And they're like, yeah, a little extra long recess. And the teacher's like, you're going to fail. We don't care. We're going with this strange guy wherever he's going. Odd. You're at work. You know, you're framing a house, or you're, you know, you're well, I'm putting together chicken crates, or well, you're driving a bus, or whatever you're doing. All of a sudden, this guy walks up, and he's like, hey, come follow me. You know, and you're like, okay. You know, uh, he's like, you know what, you, you're used to, like, um, working with chickens or whatever else, but I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. I'm like, all right, I'm in. Boss is like, where are you going? I quit. I'm with this guy. He's going to teach me how to fish for people. Weird, no? So then you're, you're, maybe you're sitting, you know, you, you work in a family business. You're a cabinet maker. And all of a sudden, you know, this guy walks in and says to your son, hey, hey, come follow me. And you're like, wait a second. I've been training you for this family business. And they're like, yeah, dad, good luck. Have some more kids, you know, because we're going with this strange man. Um, we're going to go, we're going to go, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going with him. We quit. How, who would do that? Have you ever thought about that? Who would actually do that? And yet, sometimes that's how we kind of call people to, to have faith in Christ. Like, just leave everything and follow Jesus. Was it really like that? Was it really like that? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem quite right. Maybe like, well, maybe they were just cannonball people. Maybe they just had no doubts. Maybe they were whatever. Maybe that's just the type of people they were. But is that how it really happened? There's a guy named Paul Harvey who used to tell the rest of the story. If you're familiar with that, you listen on the radio, he'd tell this story, and at the end, he would tell you who it was about, and you were like, whoa, I never knew. He's like, and now you know the rest of the story. When we study the Word, one of the most important things to, rem uh, to remember is that context, context, context is so important. There's other details to the story. Um, Luke actually gives us the rest of this story and so we're going to go through a bunch of verses. You can follow along. You may want to just jot them down so you can take a look later or maybe listen later. But I'd encourage you to, 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 to look this up and just realize how this journey, how this moment where Jesus called people to follow him actually happened. Uh, in week one, week one, we, had, uh, we looked at, the, uh, at John's account of John the Baptist on the, uh, on, the, on the shores. In John 1, verse 35 to 37, John was saying the following day, John had just said to the crowd the day before, look, there's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world. Then he says the next day, the following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and said, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. In verse, uh, the next verse, it says, when John's two disciples heard this, what? They follow Jesus. And it's like, whoop, there's the Lamb of God. See you, John. We're with this guy, right? And there was this, it seems like this instant follow. But what really happened, and if you continue to read, what we find out is that one of those two guys, who was one of John's disciples, he helped John baptize people. His name was Andrew. Andrew went to Jesus and said, hey, uh, where are you staying? We, 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 we want to get to know more about you. And Jesus says to them, well, come on over and see where I'm staying. So they go and says they get to the place where Jesus is staying. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. And says that because it's late, they kind of hang out with him for the rest of the day. The next day, Andrew, who was one of those two, goes and finds his brother Peter. He's like, Peter, 
you got to come with me. We found the Messiah. No, for real. We found the guy who's going to, he's the savior of the world. John told us, and Peter's like, okay, I'll come meet him. So Peter comes in and meets him, meets Jesus. And Jesus is like, he says, hey, Simon, from now on, we're going to call you Peter, which means the rock. He's like, meet the guy who gives me a new nickname. All right, well, okay, uh, that's good. Um, and it says they, they began to follow him. And they kind of follow Jesus like people follow their favorite sports team or follow their favorite band. You know, when your band comes into town and you're like, oh, man, I got to go see them. They're only in Toronto. That's not that far. I'm going to drive out to see them. I remember going to a U2 concert because that was the closest one. I was like, oh, that's, it's, they're there. But I also have met people that follow different sports teams or sports players. We have a couple, um, Mike and uh, Christine McKay. They come here on Saturday nights. They, have a, they had a friend who was playing in OHL level or whatever, and they would drive everywhere they could where his closest games were to watch him play. And they would travel all over, all over this area just to watch him because they were, they were following him and his team. And I thought, you know, that's kind of what these guys were doing. They were still working. They were still doing other things. But wherever Jesus was doing something, they would show up in that place uh, where Jesus was. And so then it says that Jesus headed back north. He was kind of in the south spot. He headed north. Here's what Luke says, Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. Galilee is actually where Peter and Andrew were from. And so they just kind of followed him back up north, a three days journey, but that was where home was. So Jesus is going north, man, we're going to go north too. That's where we live. He says that Jesus was filled with Holy Spirit's power and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. And here's the words I want you to to remember. He what? He taught regularly. Okay, so just picture, he's gone up to the north part of Israel where these guys live and he's teaching regularly in their synagogue. That would be kind of like their church. And he was praised by everyone. So he even, when he was up there, there was this Sea of Galilee, whole bunch of towns around it where people were, these fishing towns. One of them was this place called Nazareth, which is a little ways away from the sea. That's where Jesus was raised. He goes back to his hometown. He talks to the people there. They don't like what he says. They want to chuck him off a cliff. And he just kind of like parkours his way right through them all. And at the end, he he goes back and says, well, I'm going to go where they like me. And he goes to a place called Capernaum. So he gets to Capernaum, and it says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 31, so a number of verses later. It says, then Jesus went to Capernaum, which is a town in Galilee, which is the, which is the, uh, the lake. He says he taught there in their synagogue every Sabbath day. What's he doing? He's teaching in their synagogue uh, every Sabbath day. So he's there for a while. Verse 32, it says, what the people were amazed at his, his teaching. They heard his teaching, for he spoke with authority. They're like, this guy talks like nobody else. So you picture it. Jesus is now up north. He's been teaching every week. It's like they're used to hearing him and the things that he said. And then it says this. One particular Sabbath day, um, Jesus is speaking in the synagogue in Capernaum. And there's a man who shows up or who regularly goes. His name's Simon. It's at Simon's synagogue. Simon comes into the, into the meeting. And during the, during the service, all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is teaching. And then this guy right here in the empty seat just starts manifesting a demon. He starts shouting out and screaming, and Jesus like recognizes right away, that's not that guy. There's something inside of him that's not right, and says to the demon, hey, you, get out, be quiet, leave the man, get out of here. And everybody's watching what's going to happen. And maybe you don't believe in demons and all that stuff. They did. And they watched him, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, and he leaves. The demon leaves, and the man's in his right mind, and everybody looks and like, who is this guy? He speaks with such authority. Nobody else talks. Nobody else does this kind of stuff. And they begin to trust him, it says. Then what happens? They're leaving after the service. The same day, 
Same day, Simon's like at the end of the service, hey, Jesus, you want to come over to my house for lunch? Jesus is like, yeah, okay, I, got, I need lunch. Let's go to your house for lunch. I'm adding a little bit here, but this is kind of how it went. They're walking along. He's like, so we're actually going to my mother-in-law's house for lunch. And it's, you can read along. It says they get there, and he's like, and actually, you know, Jesus, uh, just, I kind of have like a, another motive. Like my mother-in-law is the one who always makes the lunch, but she's really sick today. So if nothing happens, we ain't going to have lunch. Could you heal her so she can make lunch for us? I know, it, and so that's what happens. They arrive, and sure enough, there's the mother-in-law sick in bed with a high fever. And Jesus, they beg her, it says, they beg him to heal her. And so Jesus goes, and he heals the mother-in-law, and what does it say? She gets up, and she makes them lunch. You should read the Bible. It's pretty cool. <laughs> then, then, people are around, and they see it. They saw the guy who got uh, the demon cast out, and they see and hear, wow, he just healed Peter's. Mother-in-law, this is, this is amazing. And his fame spread throughout the whole um, region, the good and the bad. The good that spread around was like, Jesus, this guy is like amazing. And the bad was, Jesus, this guy, he's amazing, except he does this on the Sabbath day. That's against the law. How can he do good and bad at the same time? And this was spreading around. And so people were like, well, we're not sure. We, we want to be near him, but he's sketchy. He does things different. He's doing it on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath day. So all the good Jewish people wait until the sun goes down that night because now the Sabbath is over. And then Jesus is just ready to go, you know, go to bed. All of a sudden, they throng the door. They're like, bang, bang, bang. Hey, I know you healed the mother-in-law. Can you, uh, my brother's really sick. He's got a gimpy leg. Can you heal him? She's like, yep, all right, on your way. And the next person comes like, hey, uh, I found the place. You know, this is my friend. He can't see. Can you heal him? And Jesus says he healed them all. So here's all these people who are like, wow, there's something about this, this amazing person and then Luke chapter 4, at the end of it, they say, Jesus, please stay in our town. He's like, that's not why I came. I came to talk to lots of different towns. And so it says in Luke 4, verse 44, the last verse of Luke, he says, so he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues. What's he doing? He's teaching, he's teaching, he's teaching throughout Judea, through that whole area of Galilee. The very next verse is Luke 5, verse 1. They don't have chapters. So if you start at Luke 5, verse 1, you kind of miss all of that. But here's how the story continues. Luke 5, verse 1 says, one day, as Jesus was preaching... What's he doing? Preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to what? Listen to the word. That's why the crowds were there. They wanted to listen to the word of God. Verse 2, it says, Then he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there, and they were, wa they were washing their nets. They were done fishing for the night. They're washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, his owner, to push it out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Simon is the same guy, the same Simon. He's, he's, he's there, he's listening to Jesus teach, and Jesus is like, well, the crowd's too big. Hey, Simon, he knows Simon. He's like, Simon, hey, can, can we use your boat for a minute? He's like, hops in, they kind of push out a little bit. Here's, now Simon's like, well, I was washing my nets, but now I'm going to sit in the boat with Jesus. And so Jesus begins to teach from the boat. It was easier for people to hear. They weren't pressed all around him, and he could teach more people. And Simon's sitting there listening to him as he's teaching. He's heard him teach lots, but now he's sitting here to listen to him teach on the, beat, on the beach. And it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, two of them just in the boat. He's like, Simon, let's go, let's go where it's deeper. And let's let down your nets. Let's catch some fish. And what Jesus is doing is, at the end of his message, he's giving an invitation. Not to the crowd saying, you know, hey, if you want to follow me, 
Just come on in right now. Everybody walk in towards the boat. You're going to get baptized at the same time, and then you can go back and, you know, you'll be my followers. He's like, that's not his invitation. He's sitting there teaching, teaching, teaching. He gives an invitation to Simon. He says, Simon, I want you to do something, something simple, something you do all the time, but would you, would you just go out and uh, throw your nets down in the water? We're going to catch some fish. And for those of you who know the rest of the story, you want to breeze right ahead, but we miss what that moment would have felt like for Simon. What does Simon say? He says, Master, it's a sign of great respect. It's not, the, it's not, I don't believe, it's not Messiah. It's not, hey, I believe you're the Lord. It's like, I, I respect you as for who you are. He says, Simon says, listen, we worked hard all night last night, and we didn't catch a thing. I'm just saying, we went fishing when you're supposed to fish, and we didn't catch anything. Now it's not time to fish, and you want me to go out and cast the net into the water. He's like, Jesus, I just washed all the nets. I just threw out all the beer cans. I just cleaned it all up. It's finally ready for tomorrow. I've been fishing all night. I'm exhausted. It's hot right now. We're hot. I'm tired. The fish are hot. They went down to the bottom. That's why we fish at night, because that's when they're at the top. Like, Jesus, I respect you, but you're a carpenter. Like, I'm not telling you how to make tables. How come you're telling me how to go fishing? He says, and Jesus, I know maybe you don't know all about fishing, but that whole crowd on the shore watching us, they're all fishermen. They're all going to watch me go out here and fish in the middle of the day. What are they going to think? They're going to think, man, this guy's crazy. Like, he's nuts. Who's, why, what's Peter doing fishing? And he says this, but master, because you say so, I've listened to you teach. I've seen the stuff you've done. There is something about you that I respect because you say, so I'm going to do it. But can you dismiss the crowd first? No? Okay, well, I'm just going to go to the deep, deep water. And it says that Peter rode, you know, out to the deeper water. I think he rode far enough away, and we'll find out in a minute why I think this, but rode out deep enough that most of the people couldn't see. They're like, oh, nice, he's taking Jesus on a tour. And then, you know, no one's looking, just chuck the net over the side of the boat where nobody can see. It says this, verse 6, when, when they had done this, not when Peter thought about it, not when Peter's like, okay, I'll agree to do that, Jesus, someday. You know, not when he prayed about it. It's like when he did it. And that's a huge lesson for us because it says when he did what Jesus said. We're so used to like, okay, that was challenging. I'll pray about that. Oh, that's a good idea. I think I should do that sometime. Nothing happened until he did something. And nothing happens in our lives until you do something with what you've heard. And Jesus is saying, listen, Pete, I want you to take a baby step. I want you to go and toss this net over the the side. And as he did, all of a sudden that net fills up with fish. You know, the, the, the one text says they beckoned their friends to come. This version says it was a shout, but the word is they beckoned. They, they like waved them over. Probably because they're so far away they can't shout. They're just like, guys, get over here. And who comes over? The partners come over. The partners come over and it says it brought the, the other boat. Soon both boats are so full of fish, they're on the verge of sinking. You picture that fish everywhere. They're like up to their knees in fish. The boat's about to go down. And as, as they see that, Peter all of a sudden recognizes and sees all the fish. And when he realized what happened, Peter says, we're rich. We won't have to work again for weeks. 
And then he right, right away thinks, he says, oh, Jesus, I'm going to offer you a seven-year contract. You know, 30% stake in the business. This is like, you know what? There's a five-year non-compete after completion. And here's the con. Just sign right here. And he's just wondering, I wonder if this model will scale. Get it? Scale. He's like, this is going to be, this is going to be the thing. What would you have thought in that moment? What would you have thought? Well, what Peter actually says is this. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus, right there in the boat. And he says this, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. He was so amazed by all the fish. He says, Please leave me. I'm a sinner. What happened in that moment when he realized, Whoa, this is... <laughs> This is God. He became so aware of the fact that he was a sinner. And his assumption was that God wants nothing to do with sinners. Because that's what the law had always said. The law was always, God is holy. Here's the sinners. There's got to be lamb sacrifices. There's a priest that, that, that goes between you and God. You know, there's this distance. And Peter was like, I I'm a sinner. I can't follow you. I love how Andy Stanley says it. He says it this way. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify. If you're sitting here thinking, I got to get it all together before I start following Jesus. He's like, stop. You can start right where you are. You can start right now no matter what. Verse 10 says his partners, James and John, son of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon and said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the fact that you're a sinner. This is new. God has come to be with men. God with us. Remember Emmanuel? That's what this is all about. Peter, don't be afraid. I've got this covered. And then verse 11 says, as soon as they landed, what happened? They left everything and followed Jesus. Wow, that's a whole lot different than the first story, no? They heard. There was information. There was evidence. There was all this stuff that they could put their trust in Jesus. There was these baby steps of saying, Peter, you can trust me. He's like, okay, I'm going to try. And once he realized he could trust Jesus, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you with everything. And they followed him and continued to follow him right up till their deaths. They lost everything and didn't even care because they also lost this thing called regret. They had none in the end. Peter had no idea in that moment, though, what hung in the balance of that decision. Go out and throw your net over. And most of us have no idea what hangs in the balance when Jesus is prompting us to do something, saying, listen, come on, follow, follow me. As we wrap this up this morning, maybe our uh, communion guys can just get stuff ready. Uh, I want you to picture yourself talking to Peter. Don't distribute it just yet, but just, just so you're ready. Picture, picture yourself sitting, on a, sitting for coffee with Peter. 30 years after this, this event happened, you're sitting there with Peter and you're like, wow, Peter. So that's how it happened, eh? Like, the boat's full of fish. He's like, yeah, that's how it happened. That's when I started following Jesus. That's when it was all in. And, and, and you might be saying, wow, if God would do something like that for me, no, I would follow him too. If I saw that, I, I, would, I would follow as well. You know what Peter would say? Seriously? Okay, wait, what, what, well, hold on one second. What Jesus did for me was like a fish trick. He just like filled a boat with fish. Do you have any idea what he did for you? He didn't do no fish tricks for me. What, did, what do you mean, what did he do for me? Peter's like, didn't you read my letter? I sent you, I, I dictated a letter. I've sent this letter. Have you not read my letter? Let me read from my letter. And he begins to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. 
He's writing to all kinds of people about living out their faith. He says, for God called you. He's God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he's your example and you must follow. You must follow in his steps. Verse 22, he never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. Like, what does that mean? He's like, have you guys ever seen a crucifixion? We'd be sitting in our chair like, no. He's, he's like, I've seen hundreds. Do you, do you know what a crucifixion looks like? You, have you seen like the blood just running down those wooden timbers? Have you ever heard what a crucifixion sounds like? The screams of grown men begging for mercy, just begging everyone around them to make it end, insulting people, hoping that they'll in turn kill them. And people standing at the bottom, not daring to kill them for fear that they will be on a cross next if a Roman should catch them. Have you ever smelled the smells of what crucifixion smells like? Broken human meat just... It, on display in the hot sun. You, do you know what that's like? And we're like, no. He's like, well, I do. I do. And I, not only did I see hundreds of crucifixions, I watched my friend crucified on a cross. I wasn't right close like John. John was right there with Mary, but I was close enough. I, I watched him. He didn't die like a mere mortal. He was like, he was hanging there in agony, but it was like he knew that this was part of a plan much bigger than just this. I kind of knew it in the garden when, when Judas came. Dang, Judas. You know, he came in the garden and he, he kissed him on the cheek and he betrayed him. And I was like, I grabbed my sword and I chopped off the ear of, of one of those guards. And Jesus was like, stop, Peter, put your sword away. And he healed that guy right there, put his ear back on and told me to put my sword away. I was protecting my friend. He's like, Peter, we're, we're not doing this. And I watched him submit to Judas's betrayal. I was there at the trial when I, when I could just hear through the door as the, the legal lawyers were just telling lies about him. As he's standing there, I watched and I listened. And I was like, Jesus, defend yourself. Those aren't true. That's not who you are. Tell them about your new kingdom. He didn't say anything. He submitted to all of their lies. They handed him over to the Romans. We could hear the whips. We could hear... We, we, we knew that he submitted to their torture. Then he submitted to the agony of the cross. And later on, it dawned on me that he was submitting to the wrath of God. He submitted to it. He finishes by saying this. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. This is not judges fairly. If anything, this is the most unjust thing that could happen. But in verse 24, Peter says, you know what? Because I realized that he personally carried our sin. Mine, yours, he carried our sin in his body on the cross that day so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. Sin was separating us, but we can be dead to that separation. By his wounds, you are healed. By his wounds, you are made whole. He did it for me. As so he would sit across the table, he would say, man, he did that for me. He did that for you. You think fish tricks is a big deal. This is a massive deal. And you're not following him yet? I think that's the call to each and every one of us today. When you realize what he's done for you, when you realize what he's done for you, 
Are we not following him yet? So as they're handing out the communion, let me, we're going to try and do two things at once. Let me ask you a few questions. Are you, am I, really following the others around us? Maybe you thought that this was all about blind faith and just, you know, I can't really have this blind faith, blind trust, just whatever, believe in some events. The lesson today is that it didn't start that way for followers, and it's not that way today for followers. You can question your faith, and you should. If you're part of a belief system or, you know, religion or whatever has been something you can't question, you should leave that, because that's not, that's not what Christianity is at all. You should be able to ask questions because there's answers. There was evidence for people to follow Jesus back then, and there's evidence today. There was information as Jesus taught and taught and taught and said, hey, come follow me. And he would invite people to take baby steps, and the same is still today. You should ask questions, and you can. And maybe today is the day that you'll start following Jesus. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Just begin reading his teaching. Say, okay, Jesus, here's what you, here's what you called people to do. Well, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I'll take some baby steps. That's actually why Luke wrote what he wrote. That's why John wrote what he wrote. Luke said it at the beginning. I'm writing this so that you can, you can know the truth about Jesus. John, at the end of his letter, said, I'm writing this so that you read all this. You can trust that Jesus is the Savior of the world and so find eternal life. Maybe you're here today and you thought you had to get your life straightened out first. And this is kind of part of your plan. You know, going to church Sunday mornings, trying to get my life Straightened out. I'm trying to get, get in a little bit better with God. I'm not sure if I'm there yet. Can I tell you something? When Jesus sat in the boat with Peter, Peter wasn't there yet. Nobody's there yet. That's why he said, listen, wherever you find yourself, you can start following from there. Maybe for you, it was the cannonball approach. You know, at camp or somewhere, you said a sinner's prayer, and you're like, now I'm a Christian, and there's nothing wrong with that unless that was the only step. And for many, that's all it ever was. Yeah, I'm good. I said a prayer, and that's kind of where it is. But your relationship with Christ, your Christianity is so boring because there's never that thing of, I'm going to follow the next step that Jesus is prompting me. Or maybe you were raised in church. It's never really ever dawned on you that this is a journey, a personal journey with you and your Savior. Peter dictated this earlier in his letter, the same one we were just reading. He says, to them, get rid of all evil behavior. He's like, be done with all deceit, with all hypocrisy, with all jealousy, and all unkind speech. What is that? Steps. He's calling to people who decide to follow Jesus, like, hey, take a step and get rid of some evil behavior. Take a step, be done with deceit. You know, you got, you got hypocrisy, you're saying one thing, do another. Let, let's get rid of that. He says, jealousy, you're jealous of others. Look at what you have. Just let's get rid of that. Let's take some of these steps. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you'll grow into the full experience of salvation. He's talking about having this desire for the word of God. He said, cry out for that nourishment. He says, now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness, now that you know what he did for you, there should be something on the inside that's like, I just got to have more of him. I, I've got to take another step with him. I just got to take another step with, with him. Not just the simple thing of, okay, that was good and this is where I'm at. What are the steps that he's calling you to today? Here's a few steps that maybe are on the, on the list because it's different for every person in this room. Maybe the call and you feel the prompting in your heart to say, you know what, I really do need to start studying the word for myself. There was four Bible studies mentioned earlier. Maybe the prompting is, I'm going to join one of those Bible studies. 
Maybe for you, the next step, do we have those steps? The next step is baptism. A step is baptism. Maybe for you, you've like theologically got this idea of why you don't need to be baptized. Jesus said, come follow me. And one of those steps is to be baptized in water. And we simply just say, ah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I won't follow. Maybe for you, it's forgiveness. You know it. Every time you think about prayer, every time you think about God or whatever, there's always this relationship. This is this person that you know he's prompting you to forgive, and you've been holding on to unforgiveness your whole life. And he's prompting you and just saying, listen, let's take this step. Let's take this baby step. It might feel big, but it's a step. Maybe it's dealing with sin or an addiction in your life. Maybe it's the, now's the time you're saying, hey, would you join a group? Join something that's going to that's gonna deal with that stuff that's going on in your life. Take a step with me. Maybe it's serving, serving others, or maybe it's giving, whatever it may be, to take a, to take a baby step. And for some of you who are like Christians and feel like you've been for a while and saying, that doesn't sound right. You know, it's not just taking baby steps. Can I just say this? Fair warning. It's not just baby steps. Because one step will lead to another. And he will call you deeper. The first he will say, join a Bible study and start learning the simple things of the word. And next he's going to say, now I want you to move on to some of the deeper things in the word. I want you to keep growing and growing in the word. I want you to keep taking steps. Why? Because this is what a journey looks like. When we say a journey following Jesus, there's steps. There's things that you just keep walking it out. Just got awkward for people back there, so we're just going to go back to the front. <laughs> steps. Steps. Are you following him, really? And I'm not just asking you, I'm asking me. Are we following him, really? Because that's what this is all about, and it's really what our world needs to hear. And Jesus simply said, the, you know, to Peter, take some of these steps, but, but the, the big thing that we realize is that once you realize what he's done for you, man, that's when you realize you can trust that what he's done for you, it makes it worth following. Let me uh, close with communion today. Many of you have taken communion before. Bread and wine or grape juice. Jesus started with his disciples, the first, the first followers, and said, listen, I want to give you something to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember what I did for you because it's in remembering that that you're able to take the next step. You know I care about you. You know I love you. You know I'm calling you to follow me. He says, my body was broken for you. And I want you to take it and do in remembrance of me. Peter wrote about it. And he quoted in his letter, he was actually quoting Isaiah 53. And I just want to read that to you and then we'll take communion together. Isaiah was a prophet who wrote hundreds of years before Jesus. And he wrote these words. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There was nothing to attract us to him. He was despised. He was rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. But it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed. They treated him harshly, but he never said a word. 
He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He'll enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Just listen to these words, the last verse. When he sees, speaking of Jesus, when Jesus sees all that's accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. What did he see? What does he see? He sees you, sees me, rescued, forgiven, set free because of his anguish. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. That is what he has done for you. That is what he has done for me. What more do we need to follow him? This morning as we take this bread, just realize it was done for you. He says, this is my body, a reminder that it was broken for you. Do this to remember me, to honor me. Let's do that together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for submitting yourself to that cross. Not for your own benefit, but for ours, for mine. Thank you. It says afterwards, he took a cup. He would have said to his disciples, listen, it was the blood of lambs and sheep every year that had to be shed so you could be forgiven of sin, but no more. I'm going to give my life as the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God who lifts up, who carries it away, who takes away the sin of the world. (laughs) He's not there, you know, pointing the finger of shame at any person. He's like, listen, let me pick it up. And when he picks it up, he lifts you up. And he says, I've already done it. You are forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning, that you continue, continue to carry us. When we get it wrong, you've made it right. Help us to live in reflection of that this week. Help us to live in response to that this week. Holy Spirit, I pray that for every person in this place today that you would direct them in that next step, whatever that prompting is that you desire for them to do. God, I pray you give us the courage to step step out and take those steps in obedience as we actually journey with you. Father, thank you for incredible amount of opportunities that we have, that you never give up and just keep perfecting Christ in us. It's in your amazing, wonderful name I pray. Amen.